Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. I am joined once again uh, from Dublin, from Trinity College, by Professor Kingston Mills, who's a regular now on The Opinion Line. Once again, good morning, Professor, and welcome to the programme. Good morning, PJ. Good to, good to have you with us again. Professor Mills, you yourself have particular views with regards to antigen testing and how we might go about using it properly. So, properly being the appropriate word. Can I just start by explaining um, the, sort of the terminology and the concepts? Because I think there's some misunderstanding even within some of the, the people that are, uh, that are discussing this in the media, the experts. So, so these are called rapid testing. And, and, and there are two or three different types of rapid testing for SARS-CoV-2. One of them are these lateral flow antigen tests, which is a bit akin to a, a pregnancy test, which you put either saliva or, or, or the, the liquid from a swab onto this strip and it turns a uh, color or it changes with a stripe on it after 10 minutes. And that detects the protein from the virus that might be in your nasal cavity or in your saliva. The second one is uh, the second type of rapid test, which is not an antigen test, but it's a rapid test. It's called a lamp test. This is a, a, a sort of a version of PCR, which is much quicker, much easier to be done. It can be done in a half an hour, but it's more sensitive than the, the rapid um, antigen lateral flow test, and it's less sensitive than PCR. So that's the sort of groundwork. So everybody has lumped in the, in the media talking about these, as, calling them all antigen tests, which is incorrect. They're not all antigen tests. They're rapid tests. That's the correct mm-hmm. term terminology for them. So just get the terminology out of the way. So I was part of this Mark Ferguson group that reported directly to the Minister for Health on this. And our recommendation was that these would be used in certain settings, such as return to work, schools, colleges, um, sporting activities, um, you know, cultural events, etc. And that there should be several um, what they call pilot studies done where they look at how effective they were at, at, at detecting people that were that were infectious. And the really important point is that it detects people when they're at the peak of their uh, virus load, when they're really infectious, when they're more likely to transmit it. And it was never intended that these would replace PCR. So that's been, people are comparing them with PCR and saying, oh, they're not as sensitive as PCR, therefore we can't use them. They're not intended to be as sensitive as PCR. They're not intended to be used in place of PCR. They're intended to pick up people that you otherwise wouldn't pick up in a situation mm-hmm. where you'd never use a PCR test. So that's, the, that's sort of the background to it. Right. Um, where do you stand, or are they, on the basis of what science tells us today? Are they suitable? for travelling? Are they suitable for an All-Ireland final or a large music gig to have people 
antigen tested or rapid tested. Let's use that term, rapid okay. tested at the gate going in. Okay. Okay, I think I think um, for the for the for the football and for the the, the the culture events definitely, and they've already been used in other countries uh, for those sort of situations. At the FA Cup final and the League Cup final in the UK, they, there were ten and fifteen thousand people there that everybody went into had a, a rapid lateral flow antigen test the morning of the event. Uh, for travel, it's a little bit, it's a little different, and you know there are mixed views on this. Personally, I think that the lamp test is probably more appropriate for travel because it's of its accuracy. With a football match, um, you're never going to, you know, there, there was a there was a match here in Dublin, a Leinster match last week where they had 1,200 supporters and they weren't tested because even though Le- Leinster had asked to have a, an earlier um, event where they would test everyone, but the authorities, you know, didn't advise them to, to test, which you know it's, it defies logic to be honest. But but the point I'm making is so nobody was tested going into that event but if they had tested people they might have found two or three and you might say well what's what's the what's what's the problem with two or three that were positive if you found two or three that were positive they could have come across maybe 20 others in the course of being there and then you'd had 60 people that would be affected mm. so they would be all prevented if you'd done the, the lateral flow test in in in, in barcelona they did a um, um, an outdoor um, gig where they had tested everyone the morning of the event and they found a significant number. I mean, it was small. I think it was, you know, in the tens. But again, 10 people in, a, in an event of 10,000, mm. you know, that's enough to infect a lot of people. So if you get them out of it, you know, you, you, you've, you've, you've reduced the transmission of the virus. So, so they do have a place. We had the pilot event last week as well in Ivy Gardens with 500 people at it. And we have quite a number of pilot events planned in theatres and other halls around the place. There's one coming up, for example, here in Cork Opera House on the 10th of July. To, to not have tests conducted in advance of those events, is that an opportunity missed? Because they weren't conducted ahead of Ivy Gardens. Yeah, I mean, it is an opportunity missed, I think. I think if the, if the numbers of cases nationally go down um, below where they are now, the, the case for doing these will be diminished. But if those numbers stay at the level they're at or increase, and especially if the Delta virus gets hold here, then we definitely need to be doing um, testing to allow activities that we haven't been doing for the last six or nine months. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, one of the really great things about these tests, they can pick up the variants just as effectively as, as um, the original viruses. In fact, a method of the, the, the rapid lamp test that we're using here in Trinity, we're now adapting, colleagues of mine are adapting it so it can discriminate between a Delta or a Beta or an Alpha variant and that's something mm-hmm. that the PCR test that it, in its current form cannot do yeah. so what they have to do with the, with the PCR testing after they've done the test they take some of the, the nucleic acid and they sequence it to see what's, which, which virus it is and that's very laborious and it's only done in a small proportion of the samples so the numbers we hear for Ireland with the Delta variant have been around 100 are probably a fraction of what they really are because we haven't sequenced enough viruses to know. Mm-hmm. In the UK now it's 75% and the big deal about the the Delta virus is that um, the vaccines um, don't work as effectively, especially one dose of the yeah. vaccine. After two doses, there's, there's new new evidence from Public Health England this week that says after two doses, Pfizer and and AstraZeneca are both very effective. So that's at least that. Uh, can, 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 yeah. can I just clarify that? Because again, 
the public health people have been give, giving, in my view, misleading information on this, including Public Health England, I have to say, not just the Irish authorities. So what they're saying is that two doses of vaccines um, prevent hospitalisation. But in fact, you know, that, what, that doesn't say, that doesn't mean that it prevents an infection or transmission. So, uh, you know, preventing hospitalisation means you prevent very severe disease yeah. with COVID-19. But the bar is now much higher than preventing severe disease. We want to prevent transmission so as we stop the, the virus from spreading. And if a virus is still spreading, other people are going to get infected. So, so that, that, that's, that's misleading information saying that it's very good news that it stopped. It is very good news that it stops people going to hospitals, but it's not the end game. We need a vaccine that stops people getting infected. And that's exactly what the mRNA vaccines do. Okay. So the mRNA vaccines are 90 plus percent effective at stopping anybody getting even mild or moderate um, um, disease, yeah. which is a different hurdle. These would, be, these would be Pfizer and Moderna. So are yeah. you saying to me, Professor, that when you are fully vaccinated with Pfizer or Moderna, your chances of picking up Delta are much reduced? It's, it's 90 plus percent effective at stopping mild or moderate disease either the Pfizer or Moderna vaccine wow. with the Delta variant, which is, wow. you know, fantastic. That, that's, that's, no, that's very solid evidence. That yeah. is, that's really good. Just before I move on, Juan, I want to talk a bit more about, about vaccines. Be, before I move on, uh, is, is, I don't know whether this is a kind of a question, fact or, fact or myth. <laughs> there's, a, there's a belief out there, Professor Mills, that if we were to roll out rapid testing, uh, that we could reopen everything tomorrow. Fact or myth? I think it's a bit of a myth. I mean, you know, the, 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 I mean, I, I think we all agree, even those that are strong proponents of rapid testing, that they're not 100% um, effective at picking up all cases. So they will miss cases. So you, can't, you can never say that if you have a negative test in a lateral flow test, that you are safe to mingle with others without wearing a mask, for example, because you may miss cases. It's just not sensitive enough to pick up all of them. So, so no, you can't use it to say that everybody who's, who's negative, it's re the real value of these tests are picking up the positives, finding people who are, are positive and taking them out of circulation. So you're reducing the overall number of people that can potentially transmit the virus by doing this. Mm. You're not sort of neutralizing everybody and saying everybody is now is now free to go to the to the to the gig or the football match and they're and no one is going to get infected you can't say that with these but it's yeah. about reducing it and reducing it to such a level that you stop the transmission eventually yeah. so that's the that's the caveat i think i'd add you know what i'm what i'm hearing is and as you can appreciate it, i'm just a layman uh, my listeners are just lay people what i'm hearing professor mills is a lot of experts yourself included and many others who they all agree that these tests are useful. What they disagree is the level of usefulness. Would I be right there? Yeah, I think you're probably that spot on, um, Vijay. I think I think you know you know I think some of the the the, the, the public health doctors are understandably nervous about um, people you know using the going to the going to the supermarket buying the, this this test and then finding that they're negative and saying well great I can I can I can do what I want now and that's that that's that's the big concern with it. But see, we never really advocated the testing group net didn't really advocate sort of broad public use of it. It was really in in as a means of getting 
people safely back to work, back to universities, yeah. to school and to events. And, and that's, the, that's the real benefit of these. It's all about testing people in the context with the, where they normally wouldn't be tested. And okay. That's the key to it. Okay. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Let me move on to uh, vaccines for a few moments because I read again, uh, reports that you are now one of the voices advocating for mixing the doses. Again, I have to uh, beg forgiveness, Kingston. I know there's a term for this. I've forgotten. Heterologous vaccination, it's called. Heterologous (laughs) vaccination. So I get one AstraZeneca and then my second one is a Pfizer. The perception, at least what you read from NIAC, is they don't like this idea. You do. Um, I certainly do. And all the scientific, I've been working in the vaccine field for about 35 years now. And um, it has been um, shown for decades that mixing vaccines is a very effective way of boosting the response um, with, with, with different types of vaccines. So, for example, um, um, priming with one type of vaccine, priming means the first dose, and then coming with a second dose with a different one, gives a much stronger response than if you give the same, do- the same vaccine for the first and second dose. This is going to be become a particularly big issue with the, the, what we call the adenovirus vectored vaccines. These are the, this is the, the Johnson Johnson Janssen and the, the, the AstraZeneca. And, and, and the, the, the reason is you get what's called anti-vector immunity. In other words, when you, what, what, the virus, what the vaccine is, is an adenovirus with a bit of the SARS-CoV-2 DNA in it. And it, it creates a response not only against the, the SARS version bit of it, but also against the adenovirus bit. And unfortunately, that response against the adenovirus bit stops the, the virus getting into the cells in the second immunization, which means that the immune response generated is not as strong. And that's not a problem with protein vaccines, inactivated vaccines or mRNA vaccines. It's mm. a particular problem with, with vectored vaccines. Mm. Well, so, without, so, uh, well, I, I don't obviously want to get too technical, but what I no, think, no, what I think you're saying is, and again, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I may be, you have two types of vaccines out here that work in two different, different ways. but similar ways. So by mixing the two methods you could actually end up with a better result. Exactly. And, and in fact, lots of countries not only are doing it, but they've actually 
published data showing the benefits. And, and there's t- two d- bits of data in particular that are important on this. One is from Spain, where they gave people the Pfizer vaccine after they'd had the AstraZeneca vaccine. And there was a 45-fold increase in the neutralizing antibodies. These are key antibodies that stop infection. And earlier studies have shown when you boost um, AstraZeneca after AstraZeneca vaccine, there was a three to six-fold increase. So it's a dramatically stronger booster effect when you gave the Pfizer after the AstraZeneca vaccine. Similarly, in Canada, a small number of case studies there showed huge increases in immune responses in people that got the AstraZeneca vaccine boosted with the Pfizer. A study in the UK showed that there was some increase in reactionicity, transient side effects, but these were mild to moderate and they were very short-lived. So what the authorities here are saying is they're waiting for further data. I think they're waiting for the full data from that UK study. And and perhaps they haven't read or or they don't believe the Spanish and the Canadian study. I don't know. Um, But the data is out there. And it's not just on on COVID. There's lots of data from other vaccines. Every year we get flu vaccines. Some people would have it every year. Some people would have it every second year. Others would have it, you know, maybe not as frequently. But the, the, the supplier of that flu vaccine can change from one year to another. So you're using a different type of flu vaccine, and there's no problem with boosting, boosting with a different fight, type of vaccine. So there's no, there's no, there's no scientific explanation for why this wouldn't be a good thing to do, in, in my view. So I think we just need to, to, to grasp it and look at what other countries are doing with mm. it and look at the data and go ahead with it. Is it also a way, if we were to do it, that we might get the young vaccinate more quickly. Listen to a statistic from the UK this morning. It's a worrying one. They now have that dreadful thing known as exponential growth in parts of the UK and and they're looking for get as many vaccines into as many arms, as many young arms because they've found that that exponential growth is almost exclusively among young unvaccinated people. Very good point. And um, in fact, but one of the arguments against it has been that with the AstraZeneca vaccine, there are these rare blood clotting events that have occurred. And they say that they're in the younger population. That's why they haven't been given that vaccine to the younger population. But data um, released from the medical regulatory agency in the UK, they have a running statistics every week on the numbers of these clotting events post-vaccination. And what they've shown in the most latest data is that more than 50% of the clotting issues are in people over 50, not under 50. So in fact, uh, even though there are more people vaccinated over 50, but even allowing for that, significant numbers of these events are in the older population as well as the, the younger population. So in my view, that goes out the window, the idea that this vaccine, that the AstraZeneca vaccine shouldn't be given to the younger people. I think it's a very strong case for, for, for actually spreading this vaccine around and then boosting everybody with the Pfizer or Moderna vaccines. In that case, you wouldn't waste the doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine that we have yes. and you would give everybody really good immunity. I was reminded by another guest on the programme earlier this week and in fact I had read something about it over the weekend of a thing called ring vaccination where you go into an area where there is a severe cluster and you just vaccinate anything with a pulse and and you work outwards from the epicentre. Should we look at that? 
Yeah, that's been done in a couple of countries. There was a, a study I was reading this morning in the New York Times from um, um, Brus- or from Brazil, where they vaccinated a whole city, and they've got now to um, effectively to very close to population immunity, virtually eliminated the the, the 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 virus. And in fact, the whole country of Israel have done the same. Mm. So so Israel has um, around seventy percent of their population vaccinated, or other population at least. And the, the, the instance of, of SARS has gone absolutely sh- shooting down in, in, in Israel. And there's, a, there's good evidence now that they're beginning to get towards population immunity. So that, that is, a, is a, a, a very sound. I mean, I, I advocated some months ago that we should shift from vaccinating the older population once we had the over 60s vaccinated to the, to the younger ones, mm. because that's where all the transmission was occurring. The transmission in Ireland right now is in, is in 14 to 18 year olds and 18 to 25. And then, and then the next group is the 25 to 35. Yeah. So, in fact, it makes a lot of sense to, to go into, as you said, towns, areas that are, that are, that are um, high prevalence of, of infection. But I'm thinking in particular, it, Professor of Limerick, which had, we had a very publicly uh, advertised surge in COVID recently, whether it was Delta or not, we don't know, but there was certainly a huge surge in yeah. cases in Limerick. Is that what you do? You go in there then and just start vaccinate, vaccinate, vaccinate? Yeah, well, I mean, there was an, that's right, and there was a proposal to do this in with the with the Johnson Johnson vaccine in certain settings, not certainly cities, cities, but settings um, where where it was more difficult to vaccinate, um, and because this was a one dose vaccine, they thought to get in there, get one dose done, and get out, if you like, and get people vaccinated quickly, and and and, and um, there's some there's some sense in that, but also the, the the idea, as you suggest, of going into to an area that has high prevalence in vaccine. Vaccinating, I think it's it's a good one, but I suppose it's the logistics that are mm. that are the, the biggest obstacle to this. It's it's how you divert resources from the nationally to just one location. Um, I suppose that can be, or if there's a will, there's a way, and I suppose it could be done. But that that would be the argument against it. Yeah. Um, just one question has just come in on on antigens. Just to return for for a minute, Professor. Some people yeah. are saying this is a caller saying that antigen tests pick up people who feel fine. And because they feel fine, they would not have gone for a PCR and that that's a very significant use. Would you agree with that? Absolutely, 100%. I should have said that. The listener is spot on. Um, um, These are primarily designed to detect what we call asymptomatic people, people who have no symptoms and they don't know they're infected. There's no point in using them to detect people that already have symptoms. They should go and get a a PCR test and have the diagnosis confirmed. It's exactly what we're talking about. It's picking up people who don't know they have it, but they can still transmit when they're asymptomatic. Mm. So it's really important to remove those people from circulation. So this is exactly what this test needs to do. Mm. Lastly, um, I see you've been asking or calling for patient numbers and you said that it might make the vaccination program work better, that we should know about the numbers in the health service. Can you clarify what you mean there a little bit? I, th- I think what that's referring to is um, a patient identifier number. Yeah. So I've been advocating having an integrated IT system where um, everybody in the country is given, I mean, it can be your PPS number. Um, um, and, um, you know, th- that is all linked to your medical records so that when you go into your GP 
um, and you've had some treatment in hospital, they know exactly what you have. And, th- and this can then be applied to the vaccine. So when you get a batch of vaccine, each, each vial of vaccine has a barcode on it, and you can just scan that barcode into your, your, your own um, GP, whoever's giving the vaccine, can scan it into your record. So they know not only which vaccine, but which batch of vaccine, because this can be important in the future. So if you, go to, if you change GPs or change cities, you can go in and your information is there. Of course, the IT breakdown and the HSE is, is uh, going to have a significant impact this on the, on the short term. But in the long term, this is a system that many, many, many countries have in place. And we were promised that we would have it by the end of 2020 when Salesforce and another company um, were given the, the job of, of providing um, some sort of IT system for the vaccine rollout. But I've heard very little about it. And I don't know if it's in place or not. I, I uh, look at uh, um, you know what I've read, yeah. uh, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure as it is. And, and how would that help the vaccination program if we had that exchange of data? It just provides um, very, very easily accessible information on who has been vaccinated with what. Now, they have a system, and, and so I'm not knocking what they've got, mm. but it's just not an integrated system that integrates between all the different um, centres on all areas of medical records. This is something that, that, that you know, we spoke about, um, I spoke about this 15 years ago when there was, a, there was an issue around a BCG vaccine and there was an inquiry and I was asked by the Minister for Health at the time to, to chair that inquiry and in their report uh, as a foot of that inquiry we recommended this 15 years ago or more I can't remember the exact date mm. but, but, but you know it hasn't happened in the yeah. intervening 15 years okay. okay we'll leave it there for today and as always thank you for your time and your expertise Professor Kingston Mills Courts 96 FM Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.